0: This episode of Film Jive is brought to you by Audible.com, the world's largest selection of premium audiobooks and spoken word content with over 150,000 titles to choose from. To sign up for your free 30-day trial, please visit audibletrial.com slash filmjive. hello and welcome to the film jive podcast we are recording this episode on sunday may 25th 2014 my name is zach
1: i'm andrew and i'm nick
0: this is episode number 70 where we're taking a look at the original gojira from 1954 followed by a discussion of the new godzilla directed by gareth edwards which is currently in theaters across the globe briefly before we begin our pair of discussions on today's show since Nick has returned, uh, I'd like to give him the opportunity to share with us what he's been up to as of late.
2: Oh, okay. Well, I've, uh, it's nice to be back. Nice to speak to you both. I've, uh, moved, I don't know, when was the last time I was on it? Was it The Hobbit? Was that, that was around Christmas time. I think that was the last time I've, was on Film Jive. Um, and so since, around that time I moved into a new flat with my girlfriend in London. And, uh. Yeah, it's all going well. I've certainly seen quite a few films since I was last on Film Jive. I've started a bit of a mission to watch all fifty two or three Disney animated films. That didn't count the ones I already already seen, so you know, Lion King, so on. I've seen all of those before, but there was there was a load of Disney animated films I'd never seen before, mostly older ones. And uh, so I've been uh, watching. Give, give an example. Give an example of one you haven't seen. I'm curious. Salute, its amigos. Oh, okay. Right. And make mine music. like that. And then there's also a load of really crappy ones that I've seen recently called "One's Home on the Range." That was truly awful. Yeah, that's um, not good. <laughs> it wasn't quite so bad, but the Black Cauldron—I'd never seen that from the '80s. That was an interesting one um so yeah I've, I've been quite enjoying working my way through the disney films um in preparation for a holiday there in november going to florida
0: so that's that's what spawned it was the going to it florida. was
2: yeah i thought to myself well if i'm going all the way out there i need to you know really know everything disney and thought i'd i'd watch all the films
0: yeah they, they do the theme park does rely heavily on your knowledge of the canon
2: yes if, <laughs> if you're you, right? on they the range you. you won't have a clue yeah I think they quiz you before they let you in. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, that's mostly what I've been up to. And listening to Film Job, of course.
1: Hmm. 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 was that? <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to look for Return to Nukem High Volume 1? Yeah, I'll go get round to that one. <laughs> you will? <laughs> Probably not worth it. He should watch When Nature Calls. When Nature Calls kind of ties into the the movies we're doing today, at least one of them. It does? David Strathane. Oh, right, right, right. right. (laughs) That's what I thought when he showed up in the movie. That's what I thought of immediately.
0: Let's begin with Godzilla from 1954. And I believe Andy has a plot synopsis to read for that film.
1: In the aftermath of World War II and numerous hydrogen bomb testings across the Pacific, an ancient sea monster known as Godzilla rises from the oceanic depths seeking vengeance upon those who disturbed him. As the citizens of Tokyo's attempts to ward off the monsters prove futile, civilization's survival hangs in the balance of a scientist's secret. Can Godzilla be stopped? And by what means will he be stopped? So, uh, let's start with Nick. How about that?
2: Nick. Okay.
1: What I want to know, first off, what is your past experience with Godzilla? And uh, then what did you think of the movie?
2: Past experience with Godzilla... Barely anything. Um, I don't think I've sat through an entire Godzilla film at all before this week. Really? Not even the Emmerich film? I think I saw bits of the Emmerich one when I was younger. I really don't remember it at all, Uh, apart from Matthew Broderick's star turn. um, I can't think of anything really, uh, apart from the trailers. I remember lots of trailers in the build-up to that film. I remember a big foot crashing through a museum. Yep, yeah, that. And I think there was a trailer with a fisherman or something on the end of a pier, this massive wave, and maybe Godzilla's sort of fin coming out of the water. But well, that's all he's I remember. On a, he's,
1: on a, he's on a surfboard riding the wave, Godzilla, and that one you're thinking of. Oh, yes,
2: perhaps. So, yes, so very little experience of Godzilla, and to be honest, any of these sort of monster kaiju films, um, I think Pacific Rim is the only thing I can think of I've seen recently that involves these giant monsters. Going into Godzilla, I thought this film was pretty innovative for a film from the 50s um i thought all the nu- nuclear uh, fears of the time clearly came through in this film but i have to say quite early on here that i don't think these sort of films are really work for me i find them a little bit plodding and i think because there's not much going on with the actual characters they they really are they don't have a lot to do apart from watch godzilla do his thing I thought the model work was pretty impressive. I thought Godzilla himself looked really good. The music did a lot to uh, intensify the atmosphere of the film and not make it feel so corny. Um, so yeah, all in all, I thought this one was okay, pretty good. I think it still holds up fairly well 60, 70 years later. Well,
1: uh, they call Godzilla the big G. I know a lot of people call Zack the big Z. So, uh, Zack, what's your what's your experience, previous experience with with uh, Zilla, and uh, what do you think of Gujira?
0: Well, I've seen the American King of the Monsters edit of this film twice before. And I'm sure when I was a kid, I've watched some of like the 70s era Godzilla fill in whichever monster you wish films. I know I've seen, uh, which isn't a Godzilla film, but Rodan previously. Is it King... Giadora is the three-headed.
1: Yeah, Giadora. G- 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 now they're now they're both part of the Godzilla universe.
0: So I've seen a couple of those films, but I had never seen the Japanese edit of this one. So this was a first-time watch, and I think this is probably the pinnacle of this sort of subgenre. Like I I do consider this to kind of be a masterpiece of its kind. I mean, it, it was obvious to me while watching this that it's kind of become the template from any film that aspires to kind of be a monster mashup movie. Um, and and maybe my initial apprehension, apprehension about watching it came from my knowledge of older monster movies kind of being mindless camp to some extent. But this I was completely floored by, and in large part that's due to how I think... Um, emotionally engaging it ends up being i mean nick was mentioning the nuclear war and nuclear weapons being such a huge part of the narrative and how godzilla is an essentially an allegory for that and the fear that the country was under at the time in
1: post-war japan and uh, to go with that big depression the film even ends on a very depressing note
0: well yeah i mean the conquering of godzilla in a way is not really a triumph at all it's just another step another hurdle that they've had to have overcome. And I think the big thing that this movie understands and capitalizes on in contrast to other Godzilla films uh, that I've seen is that it understands that in order for the monster to function well, that the audience has to have some kind of sympathy for him. So even as Godzilla is terrorizing Tokyo... You can't help but kind of feel sorry for him that the nature of H bomb testing in the Pacific, which isn't just Japan, it was the United States, it was the UK, it was Russia, all of these countries were doing the testing. And, you know, that's they explain that he's awoken because of all this. So when he rises out of the water, scarred and burned from all of this testing, there is some kind of sympathy there. In a lot of ways, you know, they're able to. In a lot of ways, he reminds me of Frankenstein in some sense, that even though he kind of comes off as this physically indestructible figure, there's something very... There's a frailty about the character that you you feel like this creature is doing this out of a sense of fear. I don't so much look at it as revenge. I think it's what is he supposed to do kind of in this context. So with that, and then also the fact that there are just images that directly call back to you know Nagasaki and Hiroshima crowded hospitals and just children with dead parents and just mass suffering i think it's a really interesting sort of depiction of just you know a nation in oppression so andy now we have to hear from you
1: you know i grew up with universal monsters godzilla comic books or thing so uh, godzilla's always been very, very uh close to my heart i have a lot of well, not a lot, but I have a, a good deal of Godzilla memor- memorabilia when I say that, like trinkets and stuff. So I do like Godzilla. I do like the, the campiness, the light the lightheartedness of the 70s adventures. But um, I'm pretty much exactly with Zack in regards to the 1954 Godzilla. I think it's very striking how somber and depressing the film is. You do kind of get a feeling of a country is still mourning over what transpired 10 years previously. Um, when you mentioned the, the, the scarring of Godzilla, it made me think of something I've read that um, the, the scaling and scarring on Godzilla is actually based on photographs of scarring from people that lived through the bomb. So, I mean, Godzilla is a representation in a way of what happened to those people to the extent to even his look is.
0: The bodysuit. Actually, I think works in the film's favor then because I th- actually think what's interesting about the bodysuit I think it completely elicits a different set of emotions from a viewer watching this than you would with CGI because like well, his body movements are synonymous with the way that a human per- a human body would move yeah, and so I think that's why, in a sense that he- you feel so much empathy for him as well
1: yeah well I also think the his face in this one is different than his face and the other ones and i think his face is uh is less reptile like it's more rounded mm-hmm. so it does almost look i don't want to say more human but it has more traits of a human face than say later uh representations of it to go along with that i i think the film on on a technical level is really quite amazing the score it is perfect. i think it's really fantastic and really i mean just sets a tone for the film and really from the very beginning of the film, which the black screen with just the white characters of Gojira on the screen with the, the stomps of the foot in the background, I think from that moment sets the tone for this film.
0: It's not a sentimental no score at all. And it actually sounds, to me, it sounded very modern in its use yeah. of instrumentation. Okay. Mm. It's kind of oddly grim. Like, you know, it doesn't and it doesn't play up sentimentality either. I mean, even the ending score where they bring back the uh children singing mm-hmm. feels really doleful.
1: What's pretty interesting about it is that the movie is a callback or it makes a lot of allusions to something that horrible that happened in that country ten years previously. And instead of and instead of being sentimental about it, it is very dark. The scene with the mother holding her children, saying, "We're going to see, you know, we're going to visit Daddy now," when Godzilla is attacking the city. Yeah. That isn't really done, I don't think, to elicit tears, like I think a lot of other films would try to elicit, but more to elicit more of just like I don't even know what to say. I mean, well, algebra. it's
2: it's
0: yeah, and I mean, it's a an illustration of realism. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that that is something that parents were going through at that period in time you know how do you explain to young children what's happening really
2: that must be the reason why it it connected so well with japanese audiences at the time and it's it's stuck in their culture ever since then really it's still a big part of their history and certainly film history and it clearly hit a nerve at the time one
1: of the things i think is pretty impressive is when they when they show the crowd reactions to Godzilla when he's destroying the city no one's looking at him in awe it's more just almost looking at him like it's happening again and I think that's like a perfect way of doing it
0: do you agree with uh, I've read some pieces that claim that the movie is almost like commenting that Godzilla is presenting Japan and kind of putting them as in this hell and they're almost they almost feel that they deserve it after the events see, of World can, War II?
1: I can definitely see, like, they're in hell. Especially after uh, Godzilla tears apart the city, and he and there's just fire all around him. I mean, he's just wandering in, like, a forest of fire. And
0: it, and it should be noted that, like, a lot of the events that conspire in the movie directly tie to life events that were occurring at that time in Japan. I mean, like, that opening boat being exposed to the radiation is something mm-hmm. that happened when it drifted too far into this testing area. And even there was an incident where Tokyo Bay ended up on fire due to some accident of some kind that seems to kind of re illustrate in the film as well. So actually a lot of the destruction seems to directly tie into events that were going on within sort of that decade or so.
2: <gasps>
0: but I'm sorry I
1: interrupted you, Andy. No, I think we you said this perfectly about, you know it was about things. Um about how the characters feel that they deserve it. I don't know about... I don't, uh, I'd don't. i have to watch the movie again with that thought in mind. Because I know, from what I understand at least, in Japan, the way that they kind of deal with what they did during World War II is, say, different than how uh, Germany, how they talk about what they did mm-hmm. in World War II. Yeah. So <clears throat> I don't know if they necessarily, even today, look at themselves as like, we were a villain in a lot of the things that we did especially to the Chinese people, was really terrible.
0: What I was thinking while watching it, too, was that the level of desperation, I also was wondering if it was directly commenting on the fact that in post-war Japan, they kind of were forced to adopt a U.S. kind of mandated constitution, and where they weren't allowed to rebuild their armed forces. And I almost wondered if the movie, by presenting this catastrophe, was almost stating that we feel so incredibly helpless,
1: helpless. in yeah, this
0: situation at this time. Yeah. So that's why they have to resort to something so ridiculous as you know an oxygen destroyer. 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 Yeah.
2: Mm, well, men- mentioning the oxygen destroyer there, I think that also interestingly ties in with the, the nuclear bomb in the sense that the, the doctor or professor that developed that technology didn't want to use this oxygen destroyer to harm things. It wasn't designed to kill, but he sort of stumbled across this creation, this invention, and when asked to use it to destroy Godzilla, he was reluctant to. I think perhaps that ties in with the use of a nuclear bomb for destruction. He wanted to create this oxygen destroyer for for some other purpose, something positive, um, and was quite reluctant to use it on Godzilla initially, but Eventually, got persuaded to. Although he commits suicide to make sure that it can never be used again. So yeah, yeah I,
1: I I think Nick what he said. I mean that's I think very valid. Well.
2: Very noble from a character wearing an eye patch who I initially thought would be a bit dodgy.
1: Yeah, but he received that eye patch uh, in the war, so he's already mm-hmm. a noble character in their eyes.
0: And that and that is kind of one of the things too, like the eye patch as being sort of a conventional trope that's tied with a villain or something in film the one thing i do really like about the movie too is that it is striving for some sense of realism but it isn't afraid to sort of disembark from that and play in more kind of cinematic terms because we're existing in a in a world where godzilla exists so we can take liberties with the reality of the film the one thing that I did wonder about watching this is uh and this is there's no way for any of us to ever know this, but how this film plays to an American audience compared to a Japanese audience, and obviously that's kind of the reason why they recut the film to an an American edit with Raymond Burr was to kind of um diffuse the connection between nuclear power and the atom bomb as an allegory. But I don't know that there's any way to ever really understand how um, meaningful of a film it may be to a Japanese audience in comparison to American. Like, there's always going to be that disconnect.
1: Yeah, I don't think the film would have played at all, especially in the '50s, to an American audience in its original form. I don't. It just would have been, I think, impossible.
0: Well, I think too. Like, if you just premiere the original film, there's a chance that people think that they're pointing a finger at the United States. Yeah, which I don't think. I don't think that it's as directly trying to point the blame at someone. I think it's an overall message of humanity ne- needs to make a change.
1: Um, what's kind of interesting about your comment about how would it play to an American audience in yeah. the fifties? Uh, I think the audience that would have been sophisticated enough to understand what they were trying to do, what the filmmakers were trying to do, would have an American audience would not have seen a film like Godzilla. And an audience that would have seen that film in the 50s wouldn't have understood it. It's almost like what we were talking about with Robinson Crusoe on Mars. American audiences are way more segregated yeah, than, um, say, uh, a Japanese audience or maybe even European. I don't know.
0: But... And I think that still exists today. Yeah. Uh, anything else either one of you have to say about this film, I guess?
2: Um, I really enjoyed the performance of the elder professor, the one who was sent out with the scientific expedition to investigate. And I thought his his dilemma of... Well, he he was just frustrated that the the instant and first reaction of, of Japan was to just kill this thing, destroy it. We don't understand it. It's causing damage. It's, it's killing people. We need to attack and destroy it as soon as possible. And he wanted to keep it because he was a, a biologist, I think, I can't quite remember now, but he wanted to study it, learn more about it, because it's obviously a pretty unique and rare opportunity. And I thought his um, his dilemma was quite interesting, and uh, I thought he, was, he gave a very good performance as well. I thought he was quite a troubled soul. And um, and I think, as you mentioned, Zach, I think he added a bit to that, that realism, that atmosphere that the film had. Yeah,
1: that's uh, Takashi Shimura. I don't even know what the American equivalent of having an actor like that in a movie like Godzilla would be. I mean, he's a, the star of seven Samurai, star of seven Samurai and and he's a legendary actor. Like I said, I don't even know what the American equivalent would have been to have an actor that respected in that a kind of high class in a film like this.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Walter Brennan.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe (laughs) with the
0: hump in his back and missing teeth.
1: Yeah. I guess in the fifties, it would be like Lawrence Olivier
0: being in a Yeah, Yeah. Like, yeah. He was also in a, a Kurosawa movie called "I Live." Was is he in "I Lived in Fear"? Yeah, yeah. Which is came out the same year as this, which kind of tackles similar themes, just in a much more surreal
1: manner. Yeah, and he's in "Drunken Angel." I mean, he's in uh, quite a few "Hidden Fortress." I mean, he's in a lot of uh, his films. So, uh, "Jive Turkeys." Well, let's start with Nick. Nick, I mean, "Jive Turkeys" are here, and then uh, out. I'll give it three and a half. Uh, Zachary? Four and a half. Ooh, I was going to go with four. All right, well, we bounced
0: each other out then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fifteen years after an incident at a Japanese nuclear power plant, physicist Joe Brody joins forces with his soldier son Ford to seek out the truth of what really happened. What they uncover is prelude to global-threatening devastation, an epic rebirth to Toho's, to, Ho- <laughs> to Toho's iconic Godzilla. This spectacular adventure pits the world's most famous monster against malevolent creatures who, bolstered by humanity's scientific arrogance, threaten our very existence. I'll let Andy kick things off. What What did you initially think of the latest? Not update, but I guess the the latest rendition? Rendition, of yeah. Yeah, Godzilla. rendition of
1: Godzilla. Um, I guess I'm like of two minds. <laughs> in that I liked it, but I didn't love it, and I wanted to love it. And there were moments that I loved, but they were short moments. And I think I only really loved them because I do have an affinity for Godzilla. Mm. Like the first, his spikes light up and he, and he does his atomic breath in the film. Like, I wouldn't say I cried, but I got emotional. About seeing that, and um, there were a couple moments like that, mainly with Godzilla. And um, I wanted to see more of Godzilla in the film, although I do think what he did was kind of like clever because he—I've never really seen that in a giant monster movie where you don't really see the fights (laughs) until the end. I was like, that's kind of clever that he did that because it is completely goes against what you normally do. So he did try something new.
0: Yeah, I mean, it—it weighs. You have to weigh that criticism because it kind of feels like. Not showing Godzilla, it maintains the power of that image, whereas I guess if you overexpose him throughout the entire film, it dilutes the power yeah, of say, his I, appearance. I really,
1: but... en- I really enjoyed the final fight, and I don't know how much I would have gotten into the final fight, and I, and I would say how much I enjoyed the final fight is probably almost like Ro- Rose Tints the rest of the film for me, and I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much had We've seen the thing in Las Vegas and things like that. You know, so I don't know about that. Um, I, I do think he was the best character. I thought he was better than Ford Brody. Uh, I don't know. if... I hated the name Ford. I don't know if that, it, it's supposed to imply that he's Ford tough. I don't know. <laughs> well, but, you know uh,
0: where I th- you know what I think the the Brody name.
1: Well, it's from Jaws. Oh yeah.
0: I mean, even the situation that Brian Cranston yeah. is is in. I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, yeah all that's all that's Jaws, um, which is fine. But in a way, I miss think that shows where gareth edwards affinity for like scary monster movies where it more lies with jaws than say with godzilla
0: well i don't know about that because there's a crucial element to jaws that either gareth edwards chose to overlook or just doesn't realize and that's that the characters have to be interesting
1: no i agree i agree with you what's funny is um we were kind of making jokes about the in Emmerich Godzilla film. In is words, that's an action blockbuster straight from the 90s. This one is one that's straight from the the teens, I guess you will say. Mm-hmm. I mean, it feels is very a, much of its period.
2: feels a bit Chris Nolanized,
1: Yeah, to a certain extent. But yeah, I agree with you. But I mean, everything about it, I was just seeing, like, I'm obviously seeing a modern action blockbuster. It, it feels like everything, everything leading up to it, it just feels like it. You know, so uh, I don't know if I'm getting tired of those films. I guess maybe probably because I don't see a lot of them now because I don't want to see them anymore. Right. So that could possibly it, be it. S- and 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 I didn't want to spend as much time with Ford Brody as I did. I like I I like Ken Watanabe's character more. I would have preferred to stay with him, or I would have preferred just to go with Godzilla as he swam through uh swam through the Pacific. And I did like him swimming, but um.
0: Yeah, that that brings up a diff an interesting kind of idea that I had while watching the movie is that. Firstly, I'll say I'm not wasn't really much of a fan of it. Uh like Andy, I think the kind of modern blockbuster template is just kind of exhausting for me at this point. And I will say that there were like a good 15 minutes of material that I thought were just perfect. And it was any time a human being was not on screen and there was no score and he was literally just letting You soak in the physicality of these creatures.
1: Yeah, when Godzilla was being Godzilla, I thought the film was as good as you can get. Even like the
0: sound design behind the individual creatures. Like there's some moments where you're just kind of watching those Mutos reconnect with one another and just kind of the sounds. And I just was thinking to myself, why couldn't you just make a 90 minute movie where it's literally just. Kind of observing these creatures in their habitats and then being forced to kind of come into conflict with one another. No human involvement, no score. Because this is, I will say, this is the first Alexander Desplat score that I just thought was absolute trash.
1: He couldn't, he didn't do it right. I, I, I it don't is know how so overly
0: it. sentimental that it undercuts know, everything intensity in the film. I, I
1: don't think. know how he didn't incorporate the foot stomps from Godzilla into the score.
0: Well, he doesn't incorporate any, like the only thing that he manages to kind of bring back into the score is that he has certain moments where he relies heavily on strings. And there's yeah. some moments like when Godzilla, I think is approaching San Francisco Bay that he initially kicks off the music with this very like frenetic string music, but then it kind of ends up in this like John Williams, y trumpet Heavy sort of just oh, had, it like, feels like twenty years old,
1: and we had choral arrangements in it too. Right, and it which,
0: doesn't even I mean, like I guess I have to like weigh that criticism also because then there's like the whole other side to the modern blockbuster score, which is the Hans Zimmer percussion crazy thing that has just suddenly but that dominated.
1: This, but that would have worked for this film,
0: but do like that's just as almost uninteresting. Has the score that's here now? It just I couldn't believe because I like Alexander Desplat so much.
1: Oh, he's typically great. Yeah.
0: Now I don't know what I was saying before I got on that tangent, so I guess I'll let Nick jump in here then, because I've forgotten what I was saying.
2: Well, I thought the film was uh, okay. Well, similar to Andy, good bits, bad bits. Um, I did like the fact that a lot of the the promotional material, the trailer, the poster was quite misleading. And what I thought was going to be quite a predictable film didn't turn out to be like that. Um, for instance, well, well, you know, there's character—I'm not going to spoil it—but there's characters there that don't last as long as you think. Uh, you can spoil it. Yeah, spoil uh, away. Okay, I'll spoil. Well, yeah, Brian One of my Cranston movies—I'm going to have to say—is a spoiler. So, I was expecting a lot more from Brian Cranston, but he—he he checks out about half an hour in. He does—he does some really good work in that first oh, half an hour. Oh
0: boy, here we go.
2: Yeah, I he, uh, I he what does, what does his, he do uh,
0: that's so impressive that he's just running through the motions he's doing what Brian Cranston does
2: yeah, which is great I think his, his his moment his moment where he uh locks his wife in the tunnel, the moment where he's in the interview room uh, and he's clearly very concerned about what this organization are hiding um and I think he had one one good scene with his son uh who thought he was pretty mad. Pretty insane in his uh, Tokyo apartment. I thought Cranston was really doing a good job in that first half an hour. I was connected to him. I was interested to see where he was going to go with this. I knew Nick was this... going to
0: love Brian Cranston. I, I oh, went yeah. into this episode going, if there's one thing I know is for sure, Nick's going to be singing the praises of Brian Cranston.
2: Well, I thought you guys said that you, or at least Zach, you did that the characters were dull. Oh, yeah, they're, uh, they're Aaron the, Taylor Johnson. His worst. Wife, uh the, the Japanese scientist was interesting, but for some yeah, reason got sidelined. Yeah, he was good. He was good, but he got sidelined in the second half of the film.
0: I like Ken Watanabe. I like that whenever he talks the camera does a dramatic push in into his face so that he can utter a, a word in a whispering tone. Gojira
1: but yeah, or say Gojira, yeah.
0: He seems to be caught in two worlds where he wants to kinda of deliver a more theatrical performance, but then he seems to kind of be being like restrained back in by Gareth Edgeworth. so he doesn't his performance feels like it's been compromised mm. and i will say that of all the character actors that are in the film and i know other people have said this but why why is Aaron Taylor-Johnson the person that we we should be following through these events
1: yeah yeah kind of the white
0: yeah. male meathead hero
1: but, but the thing is, he's not even here. He doesn't do anything. No. This
0: is the one thing that's interesting about the movie. All of the human character... Like, the humans achieve nothing. They're not successful in anything that they do.
1: Right. I did like that about the film.
0: So it shows the futility of their efforts and how kind of arrogant human beings are kind of in thinking that... And they even say it in the film. They can control nature around them. When in reality... That's not how it works. It's the. I
1: thought that was especially true with the military. Everything the military set up was a failure and was wrong.
0: And I like that, but at the same time, it can't. It like it doesn't manage to overcome its exposition. Everything that it does to set up these failures, it's almost anti-dramatic. Like, it's if you're gonna spend two acts saying this is what we're gonna do, this is what we're gonna do, this is how we're gonna get rid of them, and then they just end up failing it's interesting that you have them fail like that is unique but then i just kind of go why did i have to watch two acts of them doing this then and it's not like the performances are really that engaging i mean honestly i was sitting there thinking why does why can't elizabeth olsen just play aaron taylor johnson's part put him at home with the kid (laughs) That would be an interesting character. Why can't she be in the military? And
1: she
2: also would have been easier on the eyes,
0: right? And she's a hundred times a better actress than he. Well, he's not an actress, but let's get Sally Hawkins to be something interesting. She's in the for the background of Ken Watanabe's foreground the entire time, just kind of looking cute. Anyway, I mean, I, I think the
2: film's okay. There's there's a level of craft there that I think Gareth Edwards brings to it, but I just, and this is a matter of just a personal taste, really, but. It also applies to the sort of destruction apocalypse films like Day After Tomorrow and things like that. I just don't find it very interesting, and particularly a film like this where the characters, as we said, have the futility of their efforts means there's not a lot they can do about it. Why am I, you know, watching them? So it's it's a bit of a balance for me. I'm I'm not am sitting on the fence. That's for sure. There's there's good and bad parts to it. I think I enjoyed the first half more than the second though. I, I do yeah. find just two big lumbering monster, yeah. CGI monsters fighting each other a, a tad
0: dull. I don't know. I, yeah. When Godzilla appeared, like Andy, I was kind of like, whoa. Just the size and, I mean, he's like a bear. He's just like a giant bear. I also oh, think his, this is I the biggest... His design he, was
2: great. I thought his this is the biggest great. he's ever been as well, I think.
0: There is something, for me anyway, breathtaking about just the magnitude of his size and just watching him maneuver. And that's what I'm saying. If, if the human beings are so futile in what they're attempting to do, then why can't we just watch the monsters do what they do? Cause they're interesting. Like, I mean, and, and the other problem I have, I don't know what it is, but I am just sick of destructions of mass cities that feel so like
2: usually, they have to... Recently, recently, there's been a trend for it to be London. What what, what trend was this, Nick? Well, I've, I've seen it in Thor, and Star Trek did it. Uh, over the last five five years, there's been loads of films. They always pick London to destroy. It was nice to see a few American cities uh, blow up for a bit. When did you see Man Va- of Steel? Vegas? The Avengers? Steel. Yeah. Well, Ohio. Well, that, that, those
0: are... <laughs> Those are American cities being destroyed.
2: (laughs) That's true, that's true.
0: This is one thing in thinking about a movie like Pacific Rim that I will give it some credit, is at least it, it attempted to kind of locate the set pieces in interesting locations, like underwater or up in the sky or things like that. Like, it didn't just root it in sort of a metropolitan setting where they're just destroying buildings. But there's this almost irresistible urge to constantly kind of make reference to 9/11 imagery or in this case this movie even goes further it's like we're going to throw in the indian ocean tsunami and then we're going to throw in the fukushima disaster which personally i just thought was poor taste but because it feels like it has to do and this is my this is what i say like when the modern blockbuster has limitations this necessity to root it root it in a realism i mean even thinking about I was watching this film and just imagery that directly paralleled with something like The Dark Knight Rises. You have children in a bus on a bridge. Like, it just oh. plays all of the same typical visual imagery that it's like it just hits every beat. Oh, we got to show this. We got to show this. We got to show people going into a subway. We have to show, you know, people a hospital in chaos.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's getting a little much great. For Godzilla, it almost comes with the territory of him destroying a city. But, yeah, I agree with you. It's almost getting tired of seeing it
0: and and i don't know maybe this is in part because japanese architecture is so much more interesting than american yeah. architecture i mean that's another thing watching this i just realized that architecturally the united states isn't really all that interesting
1: no it's just all building
2: i was i was a bit confused with the ending of the film when godzilla's suggested to be the savior of the city and uh, i i thought that was a strange strange thing to, strange sort of title to put around godzilla there because he destroyed most of San Francisco. People won't be able to live in it for about 10 years, and yet they are very happy.
1: That, that was actually my favorite thing, is Godzilla being the hero, because that yeah. does harken back to the 70s era Godzilla, when he is the hero of all... The, Mothra versus Godzilla, which we'll talk about later, is the last one where he's the villain. Oh, really? From um, that point mm-hmm. on, until the 80s, he's the good guy. They call on him to defeat these other monsters that come destroy their city.
2: Hmm.
1: So when that when they did that, I was incredibly happy w- with that decision. That they didn't go with what I thought they were going to go with was that he's automatically the villain. Which they do that in the Roland Emmerich one, which I think is kind of... I think for a lot of like Western audiences, that's what we see. Oh, this is the villain. But I kind of like that they were like, no, he's, he's the hero.
0: <laughs> no, I, I like that too. I mean, I assumed it was the King of the Monsters that was probably on fox news cuz the oh, conservative well, yeah, yeah. right was like yeah we've taken out san francisco,
1: san francisco. <laughs> <laughs> well that even the way that was like kind of like up there on the one screen it even looked kind of like fox news kind of thing so yeah kind of and they would kind of sensationalize it like that too but uh no i i really liked that it made me like i said made me happy
0: one of the scenes i did really enjoy and i wish that it hadn't been any of in any of the marketing material was the the drop. Oh yeah. Which again, that like there's an example to me, like no dialogue and you're just like, it's all visuals. And I was just thinking like, if you just would do more of this, like this would be absolutely brilliant because you're telling your story without the need of any exposition. You were just watching these events unfold and it like your images have enough clarity to them that we completely understand. And you're coming up with interesting like ways to kind of like having the red smoke attached and them falling through the thirty thousand feet with the different level. Like you see all the clouds.
2: Yeah, it was like going onto an alien planet. It was very impressive. Now the music, completely derivative. Zach, you yes. should
1: watch the movie again without sound, except for when Godzilla comes on and he does his. Roar. Well, I should
0: do a fan edit on YouTube where I just
1: yeah, cut out taking out all the sound except for the roar, right? And maybe and, put in and you've managed to Photoshop.
2: Aaron Taylor-Johnson for his wife the Olsen Yeah, yeah. is, it, is it Kate Olsen? Olsen. Elizabeth Olsen. Olsen. Elizabeth Olsen. Um
0: there are way too many bridges in this movie. There's just incessant bridge action.
2: Well, I think when you want a when a, you want a monster to destroy something, a bridge is usually a pretty But even the, Brian
0: the, Cranston's on a bridge the, like after the
2: bridge the bridge in that train
1: scene, the bridge in the train scene is, is foreshadowing Godzilla when he does the when he's at the bridge, because he ends up saving the bus from the missiles. Yes. So he gets in front of them, so he. Well, it's I, think, foreshadowing I think the bus, think the the bus hero. driver should get park credit. Well, he's the one to stop. But so I think it's foreshadowing how Godzilla is the hero because he doesn't destroy the bridge automatically. He saves uh, the kids uh, on one the bus, bus load, <laughs> and then he destroys the then he destroys the bridge. <laughs> then he walks through it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they were doing. That's what they were doing there.
0: This is why I don't enjoy blockbusters so much, is because half of the runtime is setting up other things that are going to happen.
1: Yeah, well there's an incessant need to make blockbusters at least two hours, if not longer now.
0: Yeah, which I know I sound like an old man ranting and raving about all oh, well, the modern blockbuster, but it's even—it's not even like the exposition, it's the way that people perform in modern blockbusters, which is completely different from 80s action. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I think 80s action blockbuster performances are more interesting. I mean, we were talking about Commando earlier in the week. Like, you would never see a villain, like the bad guy in Commando.
1: Oh, you'd never see... Yeah, you'd never see Bennett again.
2: Well, with the uh, chainmail vest.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: I mean, you, yeah, there will never be a... You
1: won't see, like, a Mudo show up as, like, a leather daddy. I mean, that just will not happen.
0: Like, now everything is define, defined by smart-ass heroes... Or you have these understated, quote-unquote, performances that are striving for realism, you know? Like, this un- this subtlety to everything. You're making a Godzilla movie. Like, cut loose a little bit. Why does Aaron Taylor Johnson have to be, like, he's like Pinocchio. Like, he's the most wooden boy. Well, why does he get to be in the movie, I mean? <laughs> well, he's alien. Because he's white. He's buff. And, you know, that's the only thing people can get behind are white buff men in the military.
2: So you want an out of shape black guy to be leading the film? Yeah, Uh someone
0: different. What's his name from Family Matters? Original Val Johnson.
2: He's
1: probably he's probably too old now. Yeah. Right. So. Um. Hmm. Who? I've been wa- I've been watching The Wire. The guy that plays Bunk. Okay. He could, he's he's a heavy heavy set
2: uh, black guy. Have you have you guys seen Breaking Bad? No. No. Oh. Uh, well there's a there's a pretty heavy set black guy in that as well called no, really, there's a guy named Brian Cranston in it. He would have been a <laughs> perfect lead. Uh there's a guy called Hugh who uh who might be the sort of guy we're looking for.
0: Uh wrapping things up, Jive Turkey ratings. Andy Swope.
1: I'll give it three and a half. The moments that I liked I really liked.
0: Nicholas Wheatley. Three. Alright, I'll give it two.
1: We kind of almost average out on that one, too. You take my half and give it to you. We're at two and a half and two threes.
0: I guess we didn't really mention the parallels between this film and the
1: the original film
0: and how it directly calls back yeah. to where all the first sightings of Gar- Godzilla in 1954. four. Oh, one thing I wanted to ask because it suggested that Ken Watanabe's character is the son of... The Sarazawa character that dies in the first oh, film. Doctor
2: Sarazawa. Is that, is that the eye patch guy? Yeah. All yeah, right. Oh, okay.
0: Because there's that scene where he has the, watch. The watch, and his character name is Sarazawa in this film. Hmm. So I don't know if he's talking about his father there or what, but I don't remember Sarazawa in the first film having any kind of watch. Yeah, I don't either. There's something fishy going on there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't
1: know.
2: He should, if, if he'd got the eye patch out, then we would definitely know. Mm.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah, I
2: agree. Mm. That's what he should have given him instead of a watch. Was mm. there you
0: go? <laughs> and he t- takes eye it patch. off, and he's got like this weird eye. And...
1: No, no, he's not wearing it. That's what he hands to David. This restaurant. is my
2: dad's eye patch. Yeah. He was wearing it that day.
0: It was at this time that we experienced some technical difficulties with the recording and as a result, Andy nor Nick will be heard for the remainder of the episode. Therefore, this brings us to the listener trivia question segment of the show, Um, and I'll quickly reread May's question before revealing the answer and winner. In Robinson Crusoe on Mars, the alien ships, their force fields, their explosions, and their sound effects are all lifted from an earlier science fiction film, which was also directed by Byron Haskin and released by Paramount. What film are they lifted from? And the answer to that question is The War of the Worlds from 1954. Film Drive listener David is the winner of May's trivia question. A big congratulations goes out to David for participating and listening. David will have the opportunity to recommend a film which will serve as the central discussion for an upcoming episode. Now, the trivia question for June is as follows. The original Toho Studios Godzilla film series is divided into three distinct eras. What are the names and corresponding years associated with the three eras? Okay, so if you know the answer to that trivia question, please write us to filmjive at gmail.com, and we'll announce the winner during the final episode of June. Next episode, we'll be taking a look at the controversial film Punishment Park from British filmmaker Peter Watkins. It is a sort of pseudo-documentary that focuses on the anti-war movement in the United States during Vietnam. So if you're interested in checking that out before we discuss it on the show, it is available through Amazon Instant. If you'd like to reach the podcast, you can find us on Facebook and tune in on Stitcher Radio and iTunes, where a positive review would be greatly appreciated. You can visit the blog at filmjive.wordpress.com or get in touch with us directly by sending an email to filmjive at gmail.com. That's going to conclude this episode. Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep on jiving.